Well, good morning and welcome again to Tri-Cities Church. We're glad that you're here. Hey, if this is your first time visiting with us, my name's Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'd love to meet you, love to shake your hand, get to know you better. Um, this morning we're continuing our series, or actually wrapping up our series. We started a series three weeks ago called Wisdom. Uh, just simply called Wisdom. We're looking at the book of Proverbs and looking at what the Proverbs teaches us about how we, um, a wise way to live our life, right? How to avoid making dumb decisions. And we started this series off uh, saying that the reality is you have to be honest with yourself and admit that sometimes I'm a person that makes bad decisions. I make dumb decisions sometimes. We've got to be honest with ourselves because acceptance is the first step to change. And once we accept that, then we can begin, begin changing and doing differently. I don't know if you're like me, but there's been times in my life where I've made the same bad decision over and over again. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this? And I recognize that pattern. And once you become aware of that, once you realize that that's what's happening, you begin making strategies. Hopefully you can begin making strategies, planning how you can do something different. We began this series also talking about Proverbs, being this book of the Bible with 31, uh, 31 chapters in it. It's an excellent book to read through over and over again. You can read through it throughout the month. And, and every day read a different chapter of Proverbs. And as you do, I, I guarantee something different will stick out to you or jump out to you that didn't the previous time. And you continue reading it, and there's all kinds of advice for life, right? It's advice for life. It teaches us how to live our lives in a way that honors God, but not only honors God, but that's for our good and the good of those around us. And so Proverbs is just an excellent book for us to spend some time, to spend some time in. I'm going to miss it after this series, um, but I, we're moving on to something different. Let's pray before we, uh, before we get into the message. God, we give you thanks this morning. Uh, we give you thanks that, that you have called us into this place uh, to worship you. God, we thank you that worshiping communities, communities of faith, people that, uh, that love you, that, that want to know you better, people that think they might love you but just don't know you, God, that, that we can gather here and then we can explore the Christian faith. God, that we can get to know who you are. That you've revealed yourself to us through the scriptures and we can study them and come to a place of understanding. We can know you and trust you enough to follow you. And so, God, may that be so as we study the scriptures. May that be so that we come to know you better and find that you are a God that's worthy of following, of listening to. And God, may it be so that we become people of faith more and more every day. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, we've been in this series for the past three weeks. If you remember the first week, we talked about walking wisely, what Proverbs teaches us about walking wisely. And the first thing we said was, if you're going to walk wisely, you have to learn to live intentionally. Somebody said it. Was that you, Kim? Oh, no. Oh, really? Oh, it's behind me. The answers to the test are given away. I don't make the slides. So I don't even know what's showing up behind me. But if we're going to walk wisely, we have to live intentionally. Living intentionally. And the first thing I said was that means being aware of our impulses. Because all of us are raised in a certain way, good or bad, whether you have good memories, bad memories. right? We all have impulses. Some of those impulses are good. Some are not good. And we have to be aware of our impulses so that we can slow down and know what we're doing 
and live intentionally. And so Proverbs talks, uh, tells us that walking wisely, it means living intentionally. The second week we were talking about uh, wealth and what the, what the book of Proverbs tells us about wealth. And we saw that God wants us to honor him with our wealth. And it's not just the wealthy honor God, but it's whatever we have, whatever money that we are able to earn and have for ourselves or inherit. And whatever money we have, whatever our wealth is, Whatever our state of wealth is, God wants us to honor him there. Part of that means giving generously. The other part of it means earning it uh, in a way that's honest, right? We, we looked at those 20 different ways to get rich easily or quick, and, and we saw that, that those probably aren't going to happen to us, but rather we work for it, right? We work over time. We save. We in, uh, uh, incorporate good Uh, money, financial principles in our lives so that we can honor God with our wealth. Last week, Jamie preached, and he talked about the way we use our words, right? That God wants us to honor him with our words. We saw that words have enormous power, and God wants us to honor him with those. Use them carefully. Use them wisely. In our city group, now city groups are just groups that, uh, that meet around, around the Tri-Cities and people's homes. In our city group, we had a, a, a very fruitful discussion about not just words that we speak, but the fact that we are always writing words as well. Emails, text messages, right? And that written word has power just like spoken word. And in fact, I think we came to the conclusion in our group that you got to be extra careful when you're sending an email or a text message because those are easily misunderstood because a good percentage of our communication is nonverbal. And so you, you might, and you might have been there, you might have read an email or read a text and you might have been thinking, this person is angry with me. And they'd be thinking, they're thinking, I'm not angry with them. I'm just trying to get my point across, right? Because our words have power. And so we have to be careful the way we use our power. I mean, our words. Um, we have to be careful how we use our power, too. <laughs> that might be a good new series. <laughs> Let me think about that. Um, and then this week, we're talking about uh, what Proverbs teaches us about work. Now, work is one of our favorite, <laughs> favorite topics here at Tri-Cities Church. I don't think so. Right? No, nobody likes to talk about work, but I find myself, I've been talking about work a lot lately and reading scriptures and studying what the, book, what the Bible teaches us about the way that we work. In fact, there were several months ago, I think a couple of months ago, we had, we had a sermon, it might not even been that long ago, but we talked about the fact that we as human beings are created to work, that God created us to work. We see that the world was began with God working. The Bible says for six days that God worked. He did the work of creating the world. And then on the seventh day, he rested, right? So he rested from the work that he had been doing. And part of that work that God did was he was planting this garden, the garden known as the Garden of Eden. You can read about this in Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, right at the very beginning of the Bible. And he planted this garden, and, and it says God looked back at that garden and said there's no one to work the ground. And at that point, he created Adam so that he might work, the first human being. And so human beings from the beginning were created to work. Work is not a curse. Work instead is holy. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. When I say work, I'm not just talking about your occupation, right? 
right? We have this, this, this fascination with, I think, in America, right? This, this ideal of retirement, that we get to retire and go sit on a beach somewhere for the rest of our life, and that's what life is made of. There's nothing wrong with working to retirement, but after you retire, there's still work to be done, right? And there's work that God places before us, and that work's placed there for us to do. Retirement is not the end of work, right? It's more a transition from one type of work that consumes us to being freed up for a whole new type of work that God has placed us here to do. And so in the scriptures, it teaches us that, that work, especially in the church and Christian community and Christian circles, that there's work for us to do and that that's one way that we honor God. In fact, the church understood that. In, in Colossians chapter 3, just listen to this, this verse. I'm going to read verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I love this verse because it says in word, right? That's what we talked about last week. Whatever you do, whether it's in word, what you say, or your deeds, do it all to the glory of the Father. The words you speak or the work that you do, do it to represent God. And so there's always work that we do. And in fact, the way that we use our words and the work that we do are two of the primary ways that people come to know God and what God is like through our lives. You see, whether we like it or not, we, as we become followers of Christ, we become representatives of God. As we become a part of the church that the Bible calls the body of Christ, right? We become representatives of God. And so the words that we use, which have enormous power, and the work that we do, which is seen by others, those are two primary ways that people come to know about God. And so this is something that we take seriously, right? This concept of work. In fact, I would say that a robust theology of work is an essential or central part of the Christian life. Right? We have to have this understanding of work that, that's central to our lives because it's out of that that we live and it's out of that that people come to know God. And so this is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily important topic. So in Proverbs, I have four points this morning, not three like last week. I have four points, uh, and only three of them come from, from Proverbs. And so I have three points from Proverbs and one that's just general scripture overall that I want you to see about, about work. And then the first one is that our work is linked to our witness. That our work is linked uh, kind of inseparably to our witness. Now, at Tri-Cities, we talk a lot about, about our stories. There's a church, uh, a friend of ours actually that planted a church up in uh, Barrow County called Story Church. And sometimes I think that might have should have been a good name for us, right? Because we talk a lot about stories and the fact that our lives are kind of encapsulated in a story, Right from the time we're born, there's a there's a story. Now, some people have their stories recorded. Right, they have these books like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. There are certain people that have books, biographies that have been written about them. Their story has been written down. Now, for us, a lot of us, our story will never be recorded. It'll never find its way to a bookshelf. No one is ever going to read it. No one's ever going to read it out of a book. But the reality is, every day people are reading our story whether we like it or not. And that's simply what witness is about. Witness is about there's a story to our lives. There's a story that's being towed, not necessarily verbally, but it's being towed by the way that we live our lives. And like it or not, somebody's reading your story 
And there's a possibility that somebody's reading your story right now. You see, we have storied lives. And the actions and our things we do become a part of our story. They tell about our lives, our past, our history, the things we've been through, the things we've learned, the places we've been. We live these storied lives, and our story becomes our witness. Our witness is our story. Now, in the gospel, the good news that's found in the scripture is that no matter what your story has looked like, and no matter what your history is from birth up until now, that God redeems even the ugly parts of our story that God redeems our story and uses it for good. And so this is me. I'll just use myself as an example. There are times in my life that I look back and I say, I wish that wasn't a part of my story, right? I wish I could go back in time and erase what happened there, take back what I did there. I want to go back in time and change that because now that's become a part of my story. And I don't want that part of my story. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that God has chosen to redeem our story. So God's saying, hey, don't pretend like that's not a part of your story, right? Don't go back and wish that you could erase that because I am a God who uses that for my glory, for the good of the world. Right? There's some pain in our past, and God will use that to become the purpose for our future. Right? God will take some of those things, some of the ways we were hurt, some of the things that let us down, some of the people we've hurt, and God will use that story to be a story that we read ourselves, and we learn from, and we help others out of our storied lives. And so there's this concept of witness all throughout Scripture. And that those who become followers of Christ become Christ witnesses. Now, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ does not mean we have to have perfect lives, but we have to have stories which God is taking and God is using them for his glory. And so we have a story. Everyone who's a follower of Christ has uh, some common things in our story. And one is that I'm a person accepted, loved, forgiven by God. And that's a marvelous story, especially when we can say there's things that I wish I could erase or things I wish I hadn't done. I'm accepted, loved, forgiven by God. This is my story. You see, God is a God who redeems our stories. He takes our stories and uses them for his good. Now, when we look in Proverbs now, Proverbs talk, tells us something about our story that's there that, that, isn't, that isn't a good thing, right? That a part of our story that, that can be there that's not a good thing. Let's just, let's just look at Proverbs. Um, and we're going to begin in chapter 12, um, Proverbs chapter 12. And listen to what it says. Actually, I'm not going to begin in Proverbs chapter 12. I'm going to begin in Proverbs 26. Um, beginning in Proverbs chapter 26, verse uh, 13. There I am. It says, I probably could have turned around and looked at the screen. Y'all are looking at y'all like, verse 13. Come on, buddy. (laughs) Hurry up. I already turned there. Right? Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13. Listen to what it says. It says, a sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. 
As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in a dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. You see, that's a powerful verse because this is what I've experienced is that there's things in my story um, that, that there are people who will never say, I've never had anyone say to me, you're a sluggard, right? Um, even though there have been lazy moments in my life when I have been a sluggard, there, I've never had anybody say that. Why? Because we live in a culture of sensitivity, right? Nobody's actually going to come up to you. Well, in rare cases, insensitive people without compassion will come up to you and say, you sluggard, right? Maybe not use that word. I don't think they'll use that word. Um, they, they'll probably say lazy or, or you're wasting your life or something like that. But the reality is there's things in our story. In fact, this word sluggard or lazy or laziness is in Proverbs 19 different times. And in fact, that's something that can become a part of our story, right? Laziness, this unwilling to, um, being unwilling to work. And so Proverbs begins teaching us, hey, there's a story that your life is telling, but your story represents Christ. Your story represents God. The way that you work represents God. And so as people who have been called by God, who've been accepted, who who are loved, who are forgiven, we're living these storied lives. But when our story encounters God's story, there's some things that have to change. And work isn't, this is the word that just kept coming to me, phrase that just kept coming to me this week. It's a universal value. Work is a universal value. And so when we as followers of Christ want to get out of work and sit on a beach sipping um, sweet tea, of course, uh, <laughs> sipping sweet tea uh, with lots of ice in it, when, when, when that becomes our story, that becomes the way that we represent Christ. There's this verse in Thessalonians. In fact, there's several of them. And I had two that I was going to read, but I'm going to jump down to the one in Thessalonians for the sake of time. But um, there's this verse in Thessalonians where Paul is writing to the church, right? And he's teaching them about the way they ought to represent Christ through their work. Look with me in, in Thessalonians um, chapter, uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 9 is where I'm going to begin reading. It says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. So he's commending them. You're doing a good thing. In in fact, this is a good principle. Um, Before you instruct somebody, commend them. Tell them something good they're doing. You do love. You do have this love of Christ. Um, Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be depended upon anybody, right? And so it says, hey, you work with your hands so that, he's writing to the church, so that your daily life may be Um, may win the respect of outsiders, those who are not a part of the church, because like it or not, they're reading your story, right? Like it or not, every day they're seeing you, and they're not just seeing you, they're seeing your story, and you represent Christ, that Christ has done this work to bring you into his story, and now you represent his story, and there's work to be 
there's work to be done and that there are those who are reading your story and you don't want them to say you sluggard because this is not a cool word, um, but you don't want them to say you sluggard because more than anything, your life, your story now represents Christ and his story. In fact, this is the first point that the way we work is linked, it's inseparably linked to our witness. It's linked to our witness, our story. As followers of Christ, we're called to bear witness of Jesus Christ. And people need to come to know Jesus better through our lives. People come to know Jesus better through our lives. And so we must allow our story to be one that tells of people who are willing to do the work not just that God placed us here to do, but do the work that we do on a day-to-day basis, the money that we earn, to do it with a different kind of joy, a different kind of, um, a different kind of attitude, a different kind of expression, because it's there more than anything that we have the opportunity to glorify, to, we have the opportunity to glorify God. The second thing that Proverbs teaches us about, um, about the way we work is that our work is linked to our worth right our work is linked to our worth now this is a um and i and i wrestled with this and i kind of talked it over with with my wife kim because I, I, I wrestled with this um because in the church we 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 have this this tension um that's not always admitted right there's this um this social value and i don't even know if these are words that anybody else uses but me this social value and spiritual value Right? Our social value, our value in society is based upon, dependent upon what we have to offer or what we've done. Right? In other words, people will look at us and the value they place upon our lives will be totally dependent upon our education, our accomplishments, um, our, our uh, economic uh, status, uh, the place where we are in life, our skill set, what we have to offer them. That becomes our value in society. Now, the good news or the gospel is something a little bit different from that, or actually a lot different than that, and it's that God values us, and God's value upon us, God's appraisal of our worth, isn't dependent upon our education, right? Is not dependent upon our accomplishments, is not dependent upon anything that we've done or can do, is not dependent upon our unique skill set or any of those things, and that's our spiritual value. So in God's eye, God appraises us, and we have great worth to God, but in society, let's just face it, right? People are judging us and determining our value, whether we like it or not, dependent upon what we have to offer and what we've done, the success that we, we have, and the things that we've been able to accomplish. And so we have this tension here, because a lot of times I feel like I want to walk around and just say, well, well you know, I'm, I'm all right. Life is good. God loves me. God values me. And that's all that I need. But the reality is God's love and this is hard to say, but God's love and, and God's value and God's acceptance and God's forgiveness, it really has worth in God's economy, but in the world's economy is not going to get you very far. In other words, if you went in for a job interview and the only thing you could say was that I'm loved and accepted and valued by God, you're not getting the job, even if you're applying for a job at Chick-fil-A, right? Um, <laughs> It's just not happening, right? They won't cook, they won't hire you to fry chicken. Uh, if the only thing you can say on that interview is I'm loved and accepted and valued by God, right? It's just not going to happen. If that's the only thing on your resume, it's not going to get you very far, 
right? We're justified in God's eyes. God doesn't see us because of the stories of our past and the failures that may be there. We're justified in God's eyes, but let's deal with it. We're judged in the world's eye, right? The world's looking at us and they're determining our value based upon what we have to offer. And Proverbs begins teaching us that our, our worth, our worth is tied to our work and that our work is tied to our worth, that we must be willing to work um, because it's in the work um, that we do um, that, our, that our value is raised, that it's in the work that we do that our value is raised. In Proverbs chapter 12, um, listen to, to this, this verse. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Right? Diligent hands will get you pretty far, but laziness isn't going to get you anywhere. You're going to end up being, feeling like you're a slave, right? It'll get us stuck in those places, right? Diligent hands will rule. Those who are willing to work will rule. But laziness ends in forced labor. Flip over just a couple of chapters in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 20. In Proverbs chapter 20, it, it says this. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Right? Those who aren't willing to work, they look for the things they need, but they don't find anything because laziness, this inability, this unwillingness to work will not get you very far. It will not increase your worth. In fact, it will get you in a desperate, bad situation that you don't want to get in. And so the Bible is constantly teaching us that there's this value to work and that we must be willing to do work. We must be willing to do work. In Proverbs chapter 30, um, 31, there's this passage. It's just kind of a classic passage. It's just talking about uh, a, a working woman, right? Um, in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, it says, the sayings of, uh, uh, where am I? Uh, verse 10, the wife, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings good, uh, she brings him good, not harm. All the days of her life, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night and provides food for her family and portions for her female servants, right? It says in verse 13 that she selects wool and flax. Now, you may not have wool and flax, and that may not be your chosen tools to work with. But whatever work there is that God calls you to do, it says this woman of value, she works with our hands, with her hands, because our work is inseparably connected um, with our worth. That our worth, there's nothing we can do there to separate our work from our worth. Um, that we must be willing to do, do work. That we must be willing to do work. And that's where we find value. At least, not acceptance by God. That's where we find value in society. And God wants us to be people who have value in society. Now, not the reason I wrestled with this is that sometimes I feel like as followers of Christ, we, we almost want to live in this, this bubble. And, and we, we, all, we use this language as though, as long as God accepts me, I'm okay. Um, and the reality is, eternally, as long as God accepts you, you are okay. But you will live a miserable life 
Let's just be frank, right? You will live a miserable life if all you're worried about is God's acceptance and the worth that God finds on your, in your life, right? You've got to be willing to work and not be lazy, right? Sitting on the beach, sipping tea, um, n- nobody's going to want to be around you, right? Um, because, because we're not doing the work unless they can sit on the beach and sip tea with you. <laughs> but tea costs money. All right, so, uh, and you got to work. There is a verse, and it's not, I didn't have it in my message that says, you don't work, right? You don't eat. It's somewhere in, in Thessalonians, I think. Um, it's, it, Paul says, tell those who aren't willing to work that they can't eat, right? Um, and that's the reality, right? Um, that's, that is, that was uh, the, the first diet plan ever created. <laughs> Laziness. All right, so the, so the second thing that I, that I wanted you to see is that our, our work is always it's always tied uh, to, our, to our worth, and there, there's not much that we can do about that. And then the third thing I want you to see is that our work is, it must be, maybe it's not, it's not always, but it, it must be, it should be our goal to have it linked with um, God's will. And so there's, there needs to be this link between the work that we do and God's will. In other words, all work is not created equally. There's work that God has placed before us for us to do. Proverbs chapter 14, I believe it's verse, uh, verse 12, um, uh, says that there's a way that seems right in our own eyes, but in the end it leads to death. In other words, there is a such thing as good work and there is bad work that ultimately will destroy us. And so there's work that God has created us, us to do and we must pursue that because not all work is created equally. And so the Bible is not saying just work, no matter what that work is, you're created to work, just work, but it's seek out, pursue, learn to discern the work that God has created you to do. Now, discerning work, discerning anything is a difficult thing to do, right? I've heard people say that they heard a voice, the voice of God audibly. They've heard the voice of God saying, do that. Or do this. I wish that God would do that more often. But it doesn't happen very frequently. Right? If you're sitting around waiting on God's voice to say, this is what you ought to do. You might be waiting a long time. But there are ways that we can discern God's will. And the first thing is learning to be open to God's will. Learning to live a life where we're open to whatever God... It's it's this prayer that at one point I said um, uh, was dangerous, but then I turned around and said it's actually the safest thing that you can do. And that's to pray, God, whatever your will is, I'm, I'm open to that. To learn to say that out loud. That God, whatever you would have for me to do, whatever work you would have for me to do, whatever place you would have for me to go, I'm open to that and, and I'm willing and, and not just say that, just kind of out of practice, but say that from the depths of your heart, where what you're saying is actually true. And so being willing to say, God, I'm open to, I'm open to your will. And it's at that point that we begin listening for God. There's different, different things we can do to listen to God. One of the first things we do is we begin reading the scriptures and listening for what God is saying to us there. Because the work that God will call us to will never contradict the scriptures. Right? The work that God will call us to would never contradict the Bible. 
And so God is never going to call you to do the work of offing somebody, like murdering somebody, right? That's just not going to happen, right? No matter how much you want that to be, God, please let me get rid of this person, this one. That's not going to happen, right? The work that God calls you to do is never going to contradict the Scripture. So begin listening to, to what God is saying in the Scriptures. Surround yourself with people who have been following Christ longer than you have and be willing to listen to them. And this is what I, I find myself wanting to do with people who, who've been following Christ longer than me and, and just been in the same place where I've been. I've, I've been one that would want to say, they, they don't know what they're talking about, right? And I go to find another one that says what I want them to say. Um, that, that's what I often want to do, but learn to listen. I'm not saying follow and do everything that somebody else tells you to do, but learn to, to listen to those who've been following Christ longer who, who are wiser, who know the scriptures better. Learn to listen to them and have somebody with you who can walk with you and help you discern God's will. Another thing that's helpful is give people who are around you permission to speak into your life, permission to tell you the truth. Because the reality is people around you, at least people who care for you, probably don't feel that they have the permission to tell you the truth unless you give it to them. Um, because we're so afraid from time to time of offending people. So give somebody permission to speak into your life. And then the third thing or fourth thing that I would do is listen to the patterns in my life, right? L listen to the patterns that happen over and over again, the things that have happened over and over again. Begin listening to those things, because if I did this one time, two times, three times, and it ended badly, there's a good chance that God isn't calling you to do it a fourth time, right? That's just... That's just a guess, but that's probably a good chance. Begin listening to these patterns, right? And, and listen there because that'll help you discern, uh, discern God's will. That means we must be introspective. We must look inside. We must be reflective. We must look behind at what's happened, right? And we got to be honest with ourselves. But begin listening. This art of listening will take us a long way. You see, our work is inseparably linked or should be inseparably linked with God's will. It takes work for us to get there, right? It's not, oh, I follow Jesus today, and now everything that I do is in line with God's will. But it takes work to get there. But we got to be willing to do that work. And then the final thing I want you to see is that the Bible teaches us this principle. And it's not really in Proverbs, but it's all throughout the Bible. And that's that um, our ability to work is linked, inseparably linked, with our ability to rest. Our ability to work is inseparably linked with our ability to rest. In Genesis, God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested from the work that he did. He set this as a pattern for his creation. That, yeah, there's work for you to do, but there's also a time that that work ceases, and you rest from the work that you've been doing, and you just rest. You just stay there, and you rest. You rest from that work. You take a break. The Bible calls this Sabbath. And Sabbath teaches us that our worth, our value, the world around us does not depend upon the work that we do. But more so it depends upon God. Because I guarantee that on that day that you rest, the world will not end. Right? It'll keep going. Because the world does not depend upon the work that you do. It depends primarily on God. But the world does depend, at least your world, um, your, your world around you does depend upon your ability 
to rest so that you can continue working. A lot of times we have a hard time with this concept of Sabbath. It's one of those principles in the scriptures that we read over because we have so many things piling up and so many things that we have to get done. And a day seems like a lot of time to be, take a break from the work that we have to do. But when we read the scriptures, we see that God is in control of the time. And in fact, I love the gospel stories where God multiplies things. You know, I pray that as we learn to rest, that we'll find that God multiplies our time and gives us the time to find, the, find, the ability to find the time uh, to fit everything in that we need to get done. Because the Bible teaches us that our ability to work is deeply connected. It's linked with our ability to rest. So I challenge you, take some time off. Take some rest from the work that you do. Take a break. Disconnect from the things you're connected from, too. Disconnect from the computer. Disconnect for some time. Take a break and watch the world continue and watch God be faithful. Watch God rejuvenate you. Watch God give you strength that you can work harder and get even more work done. You know, in the scriptures, this work, this ideal of Sabbath, is not just a command that God just tells us to do just because God likes commanding things. That's not the way God works. Um, but it's very symbolic, actually. It points forward to this rest that God has for people that chose to follow him. There's this verse in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse, um, verse 13. And it says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. You know, scriptures teach us that there's a day coming that we'll be able to rest totally in the Lord. And then we'll rest from this work. And that there will be no more weariness. There will be no more tired. There will be no more frustration with things not going the way that we wanted them to go. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hardship. There will be no more kicking and screaming at the work that we've been done or our co-workers that we've been forced to work with. Um, but that we'll have rest in God. And so the Bible says rest now because that rest that you experience now points forward to that eternal rest that you'll have with God. That place of total healing, of total joy, of total pleasure in God's presence forever. Where you can say, yeah, I took a day and I rested on this earth from the work that God called me to do. And now I'm resting and trusting God to do all the work because he's completed his creation in me and around me. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've called us to work.